Hey everybody, it's Allie, and welcome to our YNR chat for Sunday, August 18th. Catherine! No! Catherine! Ooh. I'm not ready. <laughs> I'm not ready to say goodbye. It's 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 overwhelming. It really is. Friday's show opened up. Everybody gets these postcards from Catherine from different places around the world. And I'm crying. Tears streaming down my face. Kleenex is beside me. Already used like a stack of Kleenex is beside me before the opening credits even rolled. <laughs> it's just so emotional for everyone. I think I felt, you know, emotional I could sense that the actors felt emotional, that it, it was the, a weird thing to come together for now what they have to do, putting this longtime character to rest. And it just, it was such an emotional moment. I mean, everybody's getting these postcards from Catherine, and then all of a sudden the opening credits swell, and Gene Cooper is first billing, and ugh, ugh. Catherine. <laughs> I miss her so much. It's weird being in the Chancellor Mansion without Catherine. I think YNR is actually doing a, a really good job with this. I have to give them uh, credit because there's this sense of everybody knows what's about to happen. The viewers know what's about to happen. The actors know what's about to happen. But Weiner has created a little bit of a mystery about how it's going to happen. And it sort of has this creepy, uh, mysterious, haunted almost feel about it. There's a storm blowing into Genoa City, and there are these shots in the distance of huge lightning bolts through the sky, and I really also have to give credit to the lighting team who did some lovely lightning effects all throughout Friday's show. You could see lightning flickering through the windows and the lights dimming as if the power is going to go out. Those were lovely little effects that I completely appreciated. There's so much to be said. There's so much to be explored. Nikki and Victor are having this conversation about the postcard that Catherine has sent. It, it, it turns out that she has sent these postcards to everyone and asked them to gather at the mansion at 8 p.m. today. And everyone assumes it's sort of a homecoming, but it becomes increasingly clear that there's something more going on. And Nikki and Victor are remarking to each other about how Catherine is their touchstone, and it's almost as if the characters themselves sort of know that something is up because Catherine has gone so long between talking to, to anyone, and Nikki is thinking about how every day she's used to waking up in the morning, reading her paper, drinking her coffee, and calling Catherine, and I swear... Melody Thomas Scott had to have been crying the day she was filming that scene with Victor because I could just tell she seemed stuffy. I can't imagine how hard it would be. I mean, think about how much we love and are going to miss Catherine as viewers. Imagine working with her day in and day out and really experiencing the special woman that she was and now to be on the same set. I just, I without her, it, I can't imagine how um, really heartbreaking it must be. But in general, it feels like uh, the the entire um, Catherine's death thing, and I hope this is I hope this continues. It feels like there's mourning and there's going to be grief and there's going to be tears, but there's also little peppered uh, humor in there, which I appreciate. I loved the postcard that Jill got from Catherine. It was from Egypt, and Catherine wrote on there something like, "I finally found something older than you." <laughs> And that was a little laughter through tears moment that I appreciated. And I 
I, I just, I think it's going to be good. I think it's going to be right. I'm going to stay positive and hope that Weiner handles this in a um, in an appropriate way for everyone that pays tribute to uh, to Catherine the character in in a way that everyone um, can kind of uh, coalesce around. So all of the characters that have been important and central to her life within the last couple of years show up at the mansion. They all realize that they've gotten the similar postcard. It was kind of like Clue. If you've ever seen the movie Clue, all of these people show up at this mansion in a storm and they've all got invitations. They all realize they got the same invitation and every all of our Genoa City characters are realizing that Catherine has summoned them all there under mysterious circumstances. Uh, Nikki, Victor, Jill, Kane, Lily, Chloe was there, but not Kevin, which I thought was strange. Esther's there. They're all waiting for Catherine to show up at 8 sharp, and she's late. Where is she? She's nowhere to be found. She's late to her own party. And Jill really starts to get worried. Jill is the first one that vocalizes something just doesn't feel right. It's odd that she would be late. And she gets a phone call from Catherine, seemingly, from Catherine's cell phone, at least. And Jill picks it up, and the reception is really bad, and she can't, it's just just static. And you just get this really spooky feeling right at the same time that Jill kind of gets a chill She says, did you guys feel that? She just has an instinct that something isn't right. And I thought, I don't know if you guys thought, I thought, oh my gosh, is it actually Catherine? Is is the plan? Because we had theorized a little bit last week that Catherine and Murphy might uh, have, that ultimately their demise might have been a plane crash. And I thought, well, is it Catherine calling from the plane? I didn't know what it was going to be. But Jill gets another phone call from Catherine, and it's actually not Catherine, it's Murphy calling from Catherine's cell phone, and Jill detects just in sort of the broken up sentences that she could understand from what Murphy was saying that that uh, he said he's on his way to meet them. He didn't mention Catherine, he just says, I'm on my way, stay there, I'll be there soon to meet you all, and we, I guess as viewers can't help but Wonder, is this Murphy coming in to tell us of Catherine's death? Oh! I'm, it's going to be difficult for me to, to, to not cry. <laughs> Everyone knows that something is up. There's just a bad feeling in the crowd, and they're trying to figure out this mystery. I love this mystery element because the characters are trying to figure it out in the same way that the audience is trying to figure it out. And they're putting all of their postcards together. They've all brought the postcard with them, and they're sort of setting them out on the table in front of them and realizing that each of these postcards is from a different place in the world. And there's this sense that they need to solve this mystery. What is this mystery all about? And Jill realizes that all of these postcards are from amazing places. This must have been where Catherine has has been. She's been on this dream trip of a lifetime And it dawns on Jill that this is the kind of trip that you take at the end of your lifetime. And she even kind of throws out the phrase, this is a bucket list. This was Catherine traveling around the world on her bucket list. Oh, check marking things off. Oh, my goodness. Um, I hate that term, by the way. Just it feels so bucket list. It just feels so disrespectful in a way. Like, you gotta kick the bucket. I don't know. I I don't have a huge sense of humor about death, I think. Maybe that's just me and my personality. But I, I So, I don't know. I have not seen Monday's show. And I can only assume that Murphy is going to show up at the house next week. I'm happy about that. 
because the idea that both Catherine and Murphy went down in a plane crash is really sad to me. I would like to see Murphy again. I think Murphy is Catherine's husband. He's our connection to her. He's now going to be the widower. I think he should come in and deliver the news to the family. I hope that's what's happening. I hope he is going to come back, uh, give us the news, and then I can only assume it's not going to be very long after getting the news that we're going to have a good cry, we're going to start the funeral parade, probably bringing a lot of people in from Catherine's past to pay tribute to her, and then I'm sure... We're going to be getting down to business sooner rather than later. There has been a little bit of a casting update that, uh, what's his name, Mitchell Sherman was Catherine's attorney back in the day. We haven't seen the guy in a while. I don't know what happened to the actor, but maybe he's unavailable for the show because they cast Mitchell Sherman's son <laughs> to come in and he's going to, I assume, read the will, which we know Devon. Why wasn't Devon there? Now that I think about it, Devon was supposed to be a major part of Catherine's will. Didn't she take Tucker out of the will and put Devon in it? So I don't know. I don't know. But I'm sure that there's going to be fighting over the will. But it, it, it begins, really, is is the point for this week. It just This is the, ta- the taste. This is the tip of the iceberg. And I have to tell you guys, just on a personal note, I'm going on vacation. And I've known I'm going on vacation for quite a while. And I keep I've been thinking, look, there's going to be a Sunday where I'm not going to be able to do a YNR chat (laughs) because of my vacation. And I've been thinking for months now, I'm going to be so ticked off if my vacation ends up coinciding with Catherine's funeral. Because if I have to miss a YNR chat, I do not want to miss the Catherine funeral YNR chat. I need you guys to be able to get through this. (laughs) I can't sit there, watch the screen and cry my eyes out after five years of doing this YNR chat chat and then not talk about it. So now I'm scrambling and I'm trying to think, okay, well, if I record it on a different day, maybe I can still do my YNR chat. <laughs> I can't help myself. So I, I have to just give you guys a little bit of a uh, well, warning. I am I am going to try so hard to make sure there's a YNR chat for next Sunday because I think it's going to be an important week. But I also want to put the caveat out there. There's a possibility that I physically will not be able to get it done. There's a possibility that maybe I'll only have time to do an audio chat, but I will try really hard to get something out there for you guys next week because I know I'm going to need to talk about it. <laughs> I'm to- I totally plan my life around YNR. <laughs> I don't know if that would be considered committed or crazy or what. I don't know. Maybe I'll let you guys be the judge of that. Chelsea goes into labor right after her wedding to Dylan, right there in the living room on the couch. She's in her pure white wedding gown with her white bouquet sitting right beside her on the couch. White balloons all around, white sheets, white blankets. It was the whitest delivery I've ever seen in my life. Dylan has no choice but to deliver the baby because she's ready to pop. There's no time to get her to the hospital, so Dylan has to deliver. And, okay, let's just talk <laughs> about the the Chelsea labor scene, because there's some things to be said. First of all, I, I have two thoughts on this. First, can you imagine, and maybe you can, probably many of you can, giving birth with no drugs or nothing, just right there, just rip. I mean, that would be incredibly painful. And Chelsea just looked lightly misted. (laughs) Perfect and lightly misted. But that wasn't even the only thing that was so totally unrealistic about that scene. And the larger thing that kind of caught my attention is just like the whole labor scene. It was ridiculous. Chelsea's got this white sheet up over and Dylan's kind of hunched underneath her and he just like she just does a couple of pushes Dylan sort of reaches down there and (laughs) in a matter of a couple of seconds he just sort of 
pulls this perfect baby, perfectly clean child, swaddled in a white blanket, out from under the sheet. Like, as, like, I'm just gonna assume, because I don't have children, that that's exactly how childbirth is, right? Like, I'm gonna probably be covered in a white sheet, and then someone's gonna come in and just pull a perfectly wrapped child out of me <laughs> in a white blanket. <laughs> it was so clean. <laughs> That's how I would prefer to give to to give birth. So <laughs> I'm gonna just assume that that's correct. I mean, you guys. It was pretty bad, and of all of the comments I've seen this week, every single person had to weigh in on the fact that it was ridiculously unrealistic, and I just wonder, why did YNR even have to show it? If you're gonna do it, and do it so totally unrealistically, why do it at all? I didn't need to see it. I didn't need to see the labor scene at all. I would have been perfectly fine if they just implied that Dylan was delivering and then the very next scene they're sitting on the couch with the baby. That would have been fine. I didn't have to see that ridiculousness. And it was so over-the-top soap opera. <laughs> I'm really bad. I pulled a caption, a photo caption from that scene, and I put it up on the website at yrchat.com. If you're feeling snarky <laughs> about Chelsea's labor scene, I have to suggest that you go to the website yrchat.com and make a snarky comment on that photo <laughs> because it's just too delicious to pass up. <laughs> I mean, hey, YNR's given us things to talk about, so I guess I'll take it. So, anyway... It's a boy. It's Adam's boy. It's the next Newman heir. We should all, you know, be excited about it. And there's a part of me that almost forgets this is Adam's child. I'm so caught up in Chelsea's lies. And I just, I, you know, for a moment, you're, you're in the scene with Chelsea and Dylan realizing that they're having their child. And then it dawns on you like, well, wait a minute. This is Adam's son. Adam has the boy. <laughs> Victor Adam Newman third. <laughs> I think that's just, it's so weird how it's almost become masked uh, by, you know, by Chelsea's lie, but Adam has a son. That's a big deal. This is the next generation of Newmans. I hope that YNR is a show that continues on for a really long time. And I think this is, you know, this can, actually, this child will probably be like 30 in mm, five years. <laughs> But it's it's significant. It's the next uh, generation. Chelsea, though, can barely savor the moment before she has to start scrambling. The child is is big. If 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 she gave birth prematurely, shouldn't the child be a preemie? No, it's a big child. She has to immediately start saying, "Oh well, uh, I was a, a big kid," and then Dylan has to go right along with it. Oh yeah, yeah, I I was a big kid too. <sighs> Please. He knows what's up, I think. But, uh, you know, it, it's uh, actually a YouTube user. Oh, I think it was 08 Noira M08 had mentioned last week that it, it was actually two months in between when Chelsea slept with um, Adam and then slept with Dylan. I don't know why I thought it was shorter last week. I thought maybe it was a month tops. Seemed a little bit like she was scrambling to, you know, about the timeline a little bit too much. But yeah, two months is significant. I can never reconcile real time with YNR time. I don't know. Maybe it's, maybe I'm nuts. <laughs> That's probably the case. But anyway, they, uh, D D Dylan and Chelsea have this moment where they name the child, and Chelsea suggested that they name the child after Dylan's father. They ended up naming him um, Terrence Connor, I believe was the name. Um, even giving him the McAvoy family name. Chelsea's taken it all the way. She wants this child to be Dylan's in every way, so she's trying to seal it in. And I have to admit, Dylan was really cute out in the hall, just being adorable to the nurses, showing them the birth certificate, and just being the proud papa. It's too bad that he's really being duped here horribly. Um, now, Chloe finds out that Chelsea has given birth, and she ends up uh, talking to, or spilling the beans, I guess, about 
to it to Adam. They meet up at the coffee house and she well by accident and she mentions that Chelsea had the baby. So now his ex wife is beginning this new life while he's dealing with a rape charge. I just thought that was such a stark contrast right there. But even later Dylan goes to the coffee house since he owns it. And I don't know if he was getting something or checking in or whatever, but Adam was there and he did inquire to Dylan about the fact that the child is early. He asks about the baby. Um, Dylan tells him that it's a boy and, you know, Adam starts to ask questions and there was this brief moment where Dylan sort of turned around and looked at Adam and he had this just look on his face like he was trying to hide the truth as much as Chelsea is. I I just have this theory that Dylan knows that Chelsea is lying. I cannot believe that he is such an enormous fool that he would ask no questions. I think Dylan wants this to be the truth just as much as Chelsea does. And I put a new poll up at YRChat.com if you want to go there and vote and tell me if you feel the same way. Does Dylan know that Chelsea is lying? Because either he's clueless or he's complicit and it's up to us to decide. I hope the twist is that he you know knows what's up i want dylan to not be this much of an idiot for crying out loud but chelsea still at the hospital when anita shows up and anita just kind of shows up to add some extra panic to the situation because immediately Anita starts telling Chelsea about how she needs to keep her lie in check. She's got so many lies, she needs to make sure she keeps it all in check. And she even said something like, your world could blow up at any moment! Well, great, Mom. Thanks for coming in and and soothing the new mommy. It's just, I can see that Chelsea has this probably um, uh, continuous feeling of panic and fear, which is not good for her. But Chelsea and Anita ended up having a confrontation that was that was pretty good and pretty revealing. And I actually forgot that Anita had kept the had kept Chelsea from knowing who her real father was, that it was actually Jeff. And Chelsea made that connection. And I don't know why I haven't made that connection the entire time that Chelsea was pregnant. That Chelsea didn't know her father growing up, and now she's doing the same thing to her own child. I I don't know why Chelsea can't see that she's repeating that mistake. Or maybe she realized that she's repeated that mistake and it's too late. But it's just strange to me that she would do the same thing to her child that was done to her because this confrontation between Anita and Chelsea, uh, Chelsea was really blaming Anita. You know, you didn't give me a very good life. You're selfish. You care more, always cared more about yourself than you cared about me. And I'm not going to do that to my child. This child is going to be loved. And she had this dramatic scene too, where she goes, I'm Chelsea McAvoy. I have a wonderful son who could be the president someday. I have my own business. I mean, this is my life. And she had this just, I think, being proud of herself or maybe just trying to solidify the lie. But I just, I can't believe that Chelsea doesn't see that she's making the exact same mistake that her mother did. Why is that not kicking in with her? I don't know. So anyway, Anita runs off, cries, and it's just this awkwardness and it creates a you know some more tenderness between Chelsea and Dylan as they bond over the fact that they want to be really good parents to their to their child. Now, interesting thing that happened and unexpected too. Chelsea's in the hospital just having given birth and Victoria shows up to say congratulations. <laughs> I wasn't expecting that. All of a sudden, after weeks and weeks of blackmailing Chelsea to say she's going to tell Adam that he's actually the father of Chelsea's child. All of a sudden, Victoria has this change of heart and she comes and, you know, just wants to say congratulations to the new mommy and tell to tell her also that she intends to keep her secret, that Victoria's not going to blow this secret, you know, up. So 
I don't know. I was very surprised by that. Apparently, Victoria realized that she wouldn't have Johnny if it weren't for Chelsea, and so she wanted to pay some kind of debt of gratitude for that, I suppose. But now that I think about it, I don't know. Maybe it's more the fact that Victoria realized that she really has no business blackmailing Chelsea when Chelsea has the power to at least threaten to take Johnny away from her. Where we left off last week, Billy has this recording of Adam seemingly trying to bribe Melanie into recanting her rape story, and Billy was flaunting it to Victor, saying that he wants Victor to oust Adam at the company and reinstate Victoria, and then Billy won't send this audio clip to the press. Billy will keep that under his hat. And Victor just tells Billy to go to hell. I think there's a very strong possibility that Victor is not altogether unhappy that Adam's been nailed with these rape charges. I think there's a very strong possibility that Victor could be behind this whole thing. He could still be pulling the strings, and he doesn't really care if Adam goes down. That's what he wants. The surprising part was that Victoria walks in on the middle of this conversation between Victor and Billy, and uh, Billy pretty much has to, to confess what he was just doing. Victor tells Victoria that Billy was blackmailing um, him to reinstate her at the company. Like, oh, isn't that sweet? My husband tried to back blackmail my father to get me back into the family business. Victoria seemed only mildly irritated at this big <laughs> revelation. And then Billy always has a way of getting out of it. He just kind of pays her a compliment, tells her she's beautiful or something, and then she's fine again. Ugh. Victoria, I still think, may be the one to end up spilling Chelsea's secret, whether she does it on purpose or does it by accident. She, you know, so this truth does need to come out. And, uh, you know, Victoria is now keeping a brother from her own son. I mean, these two children are the Newman heirs. If we flash forward, you know, to even probably 10 years, Johnny and Terrence, or was it Connor? Maybe they named him Connor. Uh, I'm sorry. I, I don't know why I don't remember that. But the, the, these are the kids that are going to be running Newman Enterprises someday. And I guess the problem is that Victoria, again, she also wants the lie. The the lie about this uh, Chelsea's child's paternity is very convenient for everyone. Victoria doesn't want another Newman heir into the situation. She wants her child to have it all, which is very, very selfish of her. Um, all of this with Victoria and Billy aside, Victor suddenly has this realization that he wants to help Adam, and he calls this mini press conference, and he gives his line about how these charges are ludicrous. <laughs> these charges against Adam are ludicrous. <laughs> of course they are. Now get out of my office. <laughs> and... You know, it just feels like a show of support from Victor and not really genuine. Adam is still working on getting some character witnesses for his trial that I'm sure is upcoming, <clears throat> or, you know, to at least get him off of the hook for these charges. And I was very surprised to see that Adam, frankly, had the nerve to go ask Sharon to be a character witness. Last week he asked Chelsea, which is a bad idea. This week he asked Sharon... I mean, aside from the fact that um, she's the last person in the world to owe him a favor, why would he want her? Why would Adam want Sharon to testify, testify on his behalf? She's practically a mental patient at this point. She could be totally destroyed upon cross-examination. I can't think, I can't even believe that he would want her anywhere near his case. But he asks her, and of course he goes to the house and asks her while Nick's there. And Nick is not having it. Nick 
is to, after Adam leaves, Nick tells Sharon she shouldn't do it. And Sharon goes to Newman Enterprises and has a seat in Victor's office. When Victor walks in, she's just waiting for Adam. But Victor walks in and he wonders what the hell Sharon is doing there. And there just becomes this kind of great uh, scene between Sharon and Victor where they're just... You know, Sharon's rubbing it in and Victor is is really resentful that she's even in his presence at this point. And I think I just love that scene because Sharon loves being back on the inside. I mean, she could have called Adam and said, no, I'm not going to do it. She could have met him in his condo. No, Sharon goes to Newman Enterprises and plops down in Victor's office, in the main office, and she wants to rub it in that Adam has asked her for help. Sharon wants desperately to be needed. And I think this really fed her ego. This made her feel good that she had a little bit of a leg up on the Newmans, but Victor does not want help from the woman who burned down his house. So they go back and forth, quipping at each other, and Sharon calls Victor out. Do you ever wonder why you get yourself into these types of situations? You know, women are scorned against you because you're a jerk, (laughs) which is totally true. And, of course, Victor has to get in a couple of punches toward her as well. But then Adam comes in. He sort of breaks up the fight. And Sharon just stands up and denies Adam says she is not going to help him at his trial and essentially said, I don't owe you anything. She, you know, why should I help you? She mentions the fact that Adam did that really mean jail wedding. That was mean where he, I forgot about that, where Sharon's in jail and he sets her up and pretends that he's going to marry her only to pull the plug at the last minute. That was really mean. And, and, um, Sharon kind of went on to say how she, um, you know, she, again, she doesn't owe him anything. Uh, you know, he, pulled her in pretending like he needed her and then abandoned her when she needed him. This is her perspective, of course. And that's just lately. That's just everything Adam's done to her lately. I mean, remember when he stole your baby, Sharon? (laughs) It's surprising that she ever forgave him for that. But she's obviously still holding a grudge against Adam, and she couldn't wait to tell him off, and I thought it was pretty fabulous. (laughs) My only question was, is there any chance that Sharon was going to say yes before Victor um, got in a fight with her? Did she come there to say no or yes? You tell me what you think about that. I don't know. I think Sharon probably had the intention of saying no when she went there. She probably only said no to make Nick happy. If her sights weren't zeroed in on Nick, she probably would have said yes to Adam. But Nick is her new obsession. Nick doesn't want her to have any contact with Adam, so she told him No, and really, Sharon had this wonderful last line before she left the office where she just looked at Adam and said, you don't need me, you have Victor, and she left. And I thought that was a very interesting point because it's essentially what Chelsea told Adam as well. It's become clear that Adam has chosen Victor over having any type of personal life, over having friends, over having lovers. And now Victor wants to send Adam away on a business trip. Kind of, Adam knows it's kind of just to marginalize him, just to sort of get him out of the way and uh, keep him a little more low profile while this rape stuff is going on. And Adam knows that he goes to Jack. He ends up confiding in Jack. And of course, Jack, by the way, says that he will be a character witness for him. That's who he should ask in the first place. But Jack also is there to provide emotional support for Adam, probably the type of emotional support that Adam would love to get from Victor, but Adam says out loud, I know that this is, there's no father-son relationship between me and Victor. It's it's now war. It's back to war, and this is just what it is, but I mean, this is the path that Adam has chosen, and Sharon saying that, I thought, you know, was um, everything that Sharon said to Victor before Adam came into the office and interrupt them, I thought that the words could really just as easily have been applied to Adam, because in truth, 
Adam has chosen this path. He chose to follow along in Victor's footsteps instead of fostering his relationship with Chelsea or Sharon or, or you know, focusing on family. I think, unfortunately for Adam at this point, choosing the Newman lifestyle means dealing with the Newman problems. After Victoria finds out that Billy was trying to blackmail Victor to get her back into Newman, Victoria goes to Nick and she confides in him that she still loves Billy. She still wants a family with him. And Nick was very encouraging of her going back to him. And Billy decided to create this surprise for Victoria. He wants to present his case for getting back together, and he, he has this scene where he keeps, you know, his hands over her eyes, and he leads her into the house, and she opens her eyes, and he's got several things covered with drop cloths, and he's clearly now going to give her a couple of surprises and a couple of reminders of why they are good together, and he goes on to just kind of remind her a little bit of their first kiss, and we saw that flashback scene of them in the courtroom, and it was so naughty that they were even getting together, but so right. I mean, I loved Billy and Victoria when they first got together. It was really an unexpected pairing that I found very enjoyable. Uh, Billy went back uh, trying to remind Victoria of some of their crazier moments. Victoria, I think they were in Japan, getting she got a little probably drunk on sake, and she was singing karaoke really, really badly. And so Billy brought out a karaoke machine in their living room, and he tried to get her to sing along. And I, I especially watching the flashback scene, I did laugh out loud. I thought that was funny. And it did remind me of some of the reasons why I enjoyed them as a couple. And Billy brought up the masquerade ball. They were upstairs at the um, in a hotel room when the masquerade ball was happening and they were having masqueraded sex. And it was just it was very hot the way you know, Billy sort of threw his champagne glass across the room and it shattered just as he was pushing her onto the bed. And I, I don't know. I I think that they were a really cool couple at the time, and Victoria's just sitting there listening to his case, and she's sort of begrudgingly going along with it all. Not, I think she doesn't want to let herself give in. She knows that if she gives an inch, she's going to give in all the way, but then Billy trots out the wedding photo, a huge version of the wedding photo, and Victoria says, you know... I, I love our life together, but for all of these wonderful memories that we have, there's another memory that I would just assume forget, and that really is the case. I think uh, Victoria and Billy seem to have almost an equal amount of good times and bad times, and when you're in that situation, which which way do you go? What do you choose? And Billy says, you know, that's all true. It's all true. But here's my final argument to you. He starts to go on about how Victoria is a risk taker. She loves and needs to take risks. And so therefore, she's never going to be good with, a, with an accountant type guy. She needs a guy like Billy to bring that risk taker out in her, which I thought was weird. Like, Victoria is a risk taker? Because the last time I checked, Victoria was pretty square. I thought that was a, that was strange. I don't think risk taker really describes Victoria at all. <laughs> I think Victoria is the accountant type. Billy is the risk taker, and he tends to pull that out of her. And she knows it. She inevitably forgives him. She says, you know, for all of your bad qualities, you're also an amazing person and I love you. And they sort of kiss and make up. And I personally do wish that Billy and Victoria could get back to a stable place. But my problem is Billy is a lovable screw up. And every time he screws up, he never knows how to fix the root of the problem. He only knows how to sweeten the sour.
Sharon and Nick are getting real cozy with each other. Sharon is bringing him groceries. She's trying to take care of him. She is talking and bringing up um, a lot of past memories, a lot of good memories that they've shared. And by the way, there was this flashback of Sharon telling Nick, like, the, I don't know what it was. I don't know where she was. But she was telling Nick that she sleeps with other men and thinks of him. I need you guys to tell me when and where was that scene? I don't remember that, but then again, I have no retention for storylines whatsoever. I forget them almost as soon as they've happened. But if you can remember when and where that scene took place, definitely let me know. But I have been finding it kind of sweet remembering little details about their life together. And that's why it makes me so mad that Sharon ruined any real chances that they could have of ever reuniting. I mean, the truth about Summer and her paternity is eventually going to come out, and Nick is never going to forgive her for that. They're never going to be able to get back together after that. Although, I don't know. Again, this is soap world. <laughs> I never would have expected Sharon to forgive Adam for stealing her baby, let alone marry him, fall in love with him <laughs> many times after that. So, you never know what could happen. But uh, Sharon is trying really hard to get back together with him and sort of remind him of the life that they had and could have again. And Sharon overhears this phone conversation that Nick is having with Avery, who is off uh, at the uh, the facility trying to get Phyllis settled in. And so they're apart. They're having a little conversation, and Nick is telling Avery how much he misses her, how much he wants to marry her. Sharon overhears this, and you can tell how irritated she is by it. So she decides <laughs> to fake spraining her ankle on Nick's stairs so that he will take care of her. And I... That whole thing, that whole notion gave me a laugh and an eye roll at the same time, but it was also kind of comedic. I'm trying not to take it too seriously because that was a little bit funny. Nick picks her up and woo, swoops her off her feet, takes her onto the couch, and he's wanting to hold an ice pack over her ankle, and he's taking real good care of her. He ends up taking her back to her house and just fawning over her, and she's loving it. She's loving Nick waiting hand and foot on her. This is exactly her dream. But there was a very interesting little revelation. Sharon is going through her mail while Nick is sitting right next to her. She gets something from the DMV, and it's one of those automatic tickets. She must have blown a stoplight, and they took a picture of her, and now she's... And they showed a picture on the notice of her. <laughs> do they really do that? That's creepy. Um, they showed a picture of her, and um, I'm sure it said exactly what intersection it was and what day it was. I'm sure it was whatever day Sharon switched the paternity results, and she probably blew the red light somewhere near the hospital so that's a little just a little hint of a detail Weiner didn't go too deep into those details but I'm sure that that is going to play a major role in placing Sharon at that scene and making her unable to explain her way out of what she's done now Nick is trying so hard to be a good father to Faith since he screwed up with Summer and the paternity and since he made that mistake. And this is just random. Random side note. There, Sharon is at Nick's house with... I probably shouldn't even bring this up. But she's, she's at Nick's house with Faith. And apparently it's really hot in Nick's house. And a couple people, both Victoria and Sharon, have commented on it that, like, he doesn't have air conditioning. Am I the only one that finds it unbelievable that Nick doesn't have air conditioning? Or was the air conditioning out? I, I was very puzzled by that. He was like, yeah, we got a couple of fans. It's it's fine. <laughs> There's no way that Nick lives in a house without air conditioning. <laughs> anyway, okay, I just had to bring that up. <laughs> but Faith is at home with Sharon one night. It's actually the night of Catherine's party that she's 
called uh and there's a storm and faith is feeling sick and she wants her father to come over so nick comes over to the house and he tries to make faith feel better and faith just doesn't want nick to leave and there's a series of events just where nick kind of tries to leave because nick wants to go be with avery this is her homecoming night as well so he wants to go and give her champagne and roses and finally have a, a, a reunion with her but so before he goes over to 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 faith's though to see faith he wrote a note to avery saying just in case you get home i'm over at sharon's and just as he's closing the door to go to sharon's the note blows off the table and so Avery ends up getting home, but doesn't find the note right away. Meanwhile, it's all fun and games over at Sharon's house. And Nick is, uh, he's playing Twister <laughs> with Sharon and Faith. And I'm pretty sure that Twister is Sharon's code name for sex. <laughs> So Avery finally finds the note at Nick's place, and she realizes that's where he that he's at Sharon's. So Avery runs over to Sharon's to find him, and she peeks through the door, and she sees through the window that Nick is all cuddled up with Sharon and Faith, who have fallen asleep on him. So he feels like he can't get away. It's a, and you can just see this look on Avery's face like, oh, Nick is with his family. And I don't know, I think Avery should just probably be happy that she didn't walk in on him playing Twister. Abby and Tracy take Summer out to lunch and try to pump her up about being an Abbott, but Summer is totally overwhelmed, and although I know that Tracy and Abby had good intentions, it was completely awkward execution. I mean, it was just, it was not a comfortable situation around that lunch table. One interesting thing, Summer mentioned to Abby that she found that creamy nude lipstick in in Phyllis's bag and she found that suspicious and Abby just mentioned casually oh Phyllis would never wear creamy nude oh no of course not what woman would wear a neutral lip color <laughs> I've said it before I just find this whole thing completely absurd the, the lipstick connection is completely absurd but summer is obviously holding on to that little nugget of information and she's not letting it go now meanwhile jack is struggling he is missing phyllis he's worried that he's not going to be able to stay sober without her he had a really wonderful line by the way where he tells billy that he misses phyllis the way he missed his legs when he was in a wheelchair and i thought that was just what a great line. Um, it, it very well explained how he's feeling that Phyllis leaves this incredible hole in his life that nothing else can fill. But he is struggling with addiction. He still keeps an empty pill bottle around and he still thinks about using. And he kind of is going back and forth sort of struggling. And he just has a moment where he realizes that he needs to go to Summer and he needs to grieve with his daughter instead. He needs to try to be with her and Summer comes over and there's just this wonderful little moment where um, Jack tells Summer, it's, it's okay to cry. You don't have to be strong all the time. It's okay to be sad and let's both be sad. And it was a very touching moment between them. John's ghost was there sort of standing over Jack and um, just I think being happy about the decision that Jack had made, that he made the right decision and after um, when Summer kind of left uh, Jack ended up taking his dealer's number and throwing it in the fireplace and letting it burn and I thought that was a nice callback because uh, Jack had called that kid that friend of Kyle's over to get some pills and uh, I think I think uh, there was some kind of line where uh, Jack said I won't be needing you anymore or this is my last time and the kid said you'll be back and 
Jack sort of recalled that as he decided to throw that dealer's number into the fireplace, and I thought that was nice. And then he and Summer decide to go out to dinner together. Just a nice, quiet father-daughter getting to know each other dinner. (laughs) Except that Kyle is there on a date... And Summer sees the whole thing, and she's mortified. It's It hurts on so many levels. Kyle sees her. She sees him. They both are longing. I think Kyle's dating because he wants to forget Summer. He wants to try to move on. He can't have, he can't bang his sister, so he really has to just find someone else. <laughs> but his date does not work out the way he intended. The date kind of storms out on him. And then Kyle and Summer have this moment in the foyer where... They both acknowledge, basically, like, I still want you, (laughs) but I can't have you. It's kind of delicious, actually. I wish it was a different actor for Kyle. I wish I could feel Kyle, because I'm I'm starting to feel Summer a little bit more. She's... She's grown on me, and I wish that I I kind of wish they just would have kept the Blake Hood actor. I I could have got into him. I don't know. It just uh, it could be so much better. I like this though. Now, Victor shows up, and he can't help getting all up in the mix. He doesn't like that Jack is spending any time with his granddaughter. Victor is essentially just making it all about him. He has to make it about the Newman-Abbott feud, and Summer is just the newest piece in you know that they're fighting over. And uh, it's just... Sickening. I understand that Victor wants to still have a relationship with his granddaughter, and he can certainly do that. It doesn't have to mean that their relationship is now over. He he's so one track minded. And Nikki actually went to visit Jack this week, which I totally enjoyed because last year at this time, Nikki and Jack had just gotten married, and it was just um kind of touching to see them together, talking a little bit. Nikki looked so gorgeous in her white lace blouse with her petal pink jacket over it. It was perfection as usual. But she talks to Jack and and realizes what Jack is going through with Summer's paternity and that Jack doesn't really need Victor buttoned up into it. So Nikki, of course, goes to Victor to nag him to stay out of the situation, which he'll never do. Victor will ultimately just pay Nikki lip service and then he'll turn around and do whatever it is he wants but there was one thing that Nikki and Victor were able to agree on they both seem to know at this point that they need to unite to keep Sharon away from Nick Fen is the luckiest little punk in Genoa City. He's off the hook for having to do hard jail time for stealing those pills at the hospital. Christine apparently allowed him to have a deal where he can just do rehab again, but it's essentially all Paul's doing. Paul does the Baldwin family a favor again, and then Fen does his whole born-again act again. And there's this soft, forgiving music over the scene where Fen's like, I'm totally changed, Mom and Dad. And it's not that I don't think Fen deserves forgiveness, because he certainly does, but I just need to see his progression back to the light. I need to have a reason to want to connect with him again, to a reason to understand his journey. It's all just felt so jerky. And, I mean, for crying out loud, I mean, a month ago he's on meth, and now he's like, I'm better. It just doesn't work that way. It's it's the equivalent of Chelsea's unrealistic birth scene. The Fen thing does not feel natural to me. But it seems as if YNR is now trying to give Fen a clean slate, and Lauren and Michael a clean slate as well. They are just trying to get their life back on track, so happy that their son is not going to jail, and they're kind of sitting around relaxing when Lauren gets another text from Carmine, and it said something like, you will never be free of me. Wow, that's ominous, don't you think? It seems a little unnecessarily ominous. 
I, I don't know. I think it is certainly possible that maybe the writers were just toying with us. Maybe Carmine will not end up dying. Maybe this is something that could be going on for a while. Carmine seems to be sort of off the scene for now, but he could be back, and if not right away, could be months down the road. I mean, Carmine could be Lauren's new Sheila. Why is Devon trying so hard to get Tyler to come back to Jabot? Devon kind of tried to eat crow with Tyler and asked him to come back to the company. Tyler said, no, I don't like you, don't want to work with you, you're a jerk. But privately, he went back to Noah and admitted that he liked working at Jabot and he would like to get his job back. And he wants Noah to go work there too, which I totally support. Yay, I think that's wonderful. I think if Tyler can go in, negotiate himself a position back at Jabot and bring Noah along with him, that would be wonderful because... Well, just on a sideline here, the underground, that whole bar, all of that was a huge flop. I mean, we don't see the set anymore at all, nothing. No one needs to get a real job. He needs to stop bartending. So I'm happy to have him involved in one of the family businesses. I'm sure Victor's not going to appreciate his grandson and granddaughter both working at Jabot, but I'll just be happy to get Noah out of that dark, dingy drink hole. I don't care what he's doing. But now, back to Devon. Devon, he seems to have some kind of new faith in Lily and Kane's relationship, enough so that he offered Tyler the job. Hasn't Devon noticed this whole blogger thing? Hasn't he noticed that Lily and Kane's relationship is crumbling? I mean... Lily and Devon had a scene at the coffee house where Lily confided in Devon that she just doesn't feel right about Hillary. And Hillary keeps trying to make inroads with Devon, and it seems to just be tripping off his senses that something is up with her. They both sort of remark that something is off about her, that she seems like, I don't know, there's more to the story. I mean, Helpful Hillary is always right there with Kane, ready to assist him with her cleavage. And Lily and Kane got in a fight about that this week. Lily noticed the way she was dressing and felt that there was some inappropriateness between them. But really, let's face it, Lily is paranoid. She knows that she's capable of infidelity. So why wouldn't Kane be? Neil goes to Detective Chavez. Finally, Alex back on the scene. He's a hunk and a half. Why am I not seeing him every week? Well, Neil goes and just kind of tells Alex everything that he remembered from the hypnosis session. And Alex, you know, I think at first really wanted to throw him in jail. <laughs> the way Neil framed it, you never go to the cops and be like, I think I left someone to die. You know, of course you're going to get in trouble for that. But Alex listens to Neil's story and ends up helping him. He looks on the computer, kind of finds all of Rose's connections, her last known address, her relatives, everything there really is to know. And Neil decides he needs to start facing this head on. So he does a post apparently a juicy buzz, to ask to meet the blogger, to come face to face. He realizes that there's really only one person who could want revenge against him if it has anything to do with Rose, and that would be Rose's daughter. So Neil wants to try to flush Rose's daughter out of the woodwork. And so just as Neil is posting this um, baiting blog post, like, come meet me, let's come face to face, we see a scene where Hillary is in uh, Kane's house helping him, assisting him, and she gets a notification on her device. And it's just making it look, I think, a little bit too hard, like Hillary is the blogger. Um, the next scene, she kind of reads whatever the notification was on her on her handheld device, and she tells Kane, oh, there's a new blog post from the mystery blogger, I assume. So doesn't that mean that Hillary couldn't have, couldn't be the blogger? If she was just getting, she was with Kane when all this was going down. So she could she really have done it? I think I think um, Hillary is the red herring. I don't think she's the blogger. I don't think she could be Anne's daughter. I think there's, I think we're headed um, toward maybe it being Melanie. Um, 
the vlogger ended up responding to Neil's post and saying, forget it, I'm not going to give you what you want, I'm not going to meet you. And Neil realizes that he is just needing to be hot on this trail. He needs to figure it out sooner or later. Chavez gave... Um, uh, gave Neil, I, I guess, the daughter's last known address in London. Or no, it was Rose's last known address. I don't know. <laughs> the storyline, <laughs> it's not my favorite. So I'm getting a little lost. But, <laughs> long and short, Neil goes to London for something. Got a lot of feedback last week about... The state of Y&R, there was um, confirmation this week that the head writer Josh Griffith is out. He's resigned from the show, and they replaced him with a woman who's already on the writing staff, Shelley Altman, I believe is her name. She's just, I think, being kind of promoted. Uh, so I don't know. I don't know if that's going to mean there's going to be very much change at all. It seems, I mean, she's, uh, I just briefly saw that she has been a soap writer for quite a while, Shelley Altman. She's written on a lot of soaps. Of course, some failed ones, too. <laughs> I don't know. I'm not sure if we'll see a whole lot of difference since she's she was already a writer on the show, but um, I guess we'll find out, right? Um, who knows? Maybe YNR is taking yet another twist and turn. Okay, my podcast friends, I think that just about takes me to the end for this week. Oh, with Catherine's funeral coming up, I know you guys are going to have a lot to say. So please feel free to give me some feedback. You can call into the voicemail at 309-588-4569 and let me know what you're thinking and feeling. You can go to the website at yrchat.com, head into the forums. You can leave a comment on this week's uh, video or podcast post. Everything I do related to YNR is up there at that website, and I do chat about it throughout the week. And actually, if uh, worst case scenario, I'm not able to do any YNR chat next week, I will definitely try to post something at yrchat.com. But hopefully I will I will be able to do a video or an audio or something. Hopefully there'll be something. I just can't imagine going through Catherine's funeral and not talking about it. So you can also send me an email if you'd like. My new email address is Allie, that's A-L-I, at yrchat.com. Whatever is the easiest way for you to contact me, please feel free. I know there's going to be a lot of emotions, so feel free to get it all out. Let it all hang out there. <laughs> all right. I think that's it. I love you guys. I hope to see you next week. Everybody have a good one. Bye.